0: It's Representation, the podcast about underrepresentation in STEM. Welcome back to the Representation podcast. I am your host, Yamina, and on this show, I like to talk about different STEM topics and the diverse people who contribute to them. This episode, I'm fortunate enough to have gotten an interview with an amazing woman, Cagney Coomer. So let's dive right in. Welcome Cagney.
1: Hello, how you doing? I'm well, how are you? I'm really good.
0: Awesome. And did I pronounce your last name right, Coomer? Yes, you did. Awesome. Great. So welcome to Representation. All of this came because I follow you on Twitter and I saw that you post some amazing things and I reached out to you and it sounds like you do some amazing work. So can we start off with you telling us a bit about you and what you're doing right now?
1: I'm a PhD student at the University of Kentucky. I'm getting a PhD in molecular, cellular, and developmental biology. I study retinal development and regeneration. Retinal development? And regeneration.
0: And what exactly does that mean?
1: The zebrafish has a really unique capability of regenerating all of the different components of the retina, so if you damage it, the Müller glia are able to de-differentiate, and then when it de-differentiates, it becomes a stem cell, and then it's able to actually start to proliferate and form all of the different cells of the retina and fill those back in. So we study that process and how it happens. And then we study this, the genes that are responsible for that and the roles that those genes play in development. That's
0: amazing I understood like a third of it <laughs>
1: um,
0: and why are you studying this what are what are the, your goals
1: I'm really interested in genetic diseases and then understanding like what those what genes are responsible for genetic diseases and how those genes that play a role in development so if we understand, how those genes work and what those roles are in development. Maybe we can understand how they become toxic or how they become in ways that become harmful because they most of the time have developmental roles and they're usually required for us to become the human body or become who we are in the structure of the body. But how do they get to a place where eventually they start to become, cause disease? And so I'm really interested in the play of that. How do they become from advantageous? Just to a place where they're harmful to us.
0: And why did you go into this field?
1: I really just wanted to be a scientist and not necessarily did I want to be a molecular biologist. Before this, I was interested in plants, but you can't really control the weather. And it was <laughs> something that I didn't want to like spend nine years worried about if the sun was going to shine or if I was going to have a drought. And I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to get a Ph.D. because we had we had droughts and global warming and all those different things.
0: You wanted to be a scientist.
1: yes. Why did you want to be a scientist? Because I feel like being a scientist is like being a magician and getting to know how the actual magic trick works.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's a beautiful way of putting that. Did you, I mean, the whole point of this show, what I talk about is representation and how much it matters. Growing up, did you see any scientists that looked like you?
1: Um, no. Actually, I wanted to be a marine biologist, but i never seen the ocean before. I was in college the first time I ever like saw the ocean. And the first time I ever saw the ocean, I realized that it was terrifying. And when you see the ocean, <laughs> you realize that you're at the bottom of the food chain. Mm-hmm. And so I got pushed in the water, and I was like, um, you don't see the bottom. It's not crystal clear like the Discovery Channel. And I'm not really designed to be in the water and so i went back to my advisor and i was like yeah i don't think marine biology is for me so what (laughs) other majors are there and she was like we were so excited at first i was like i don't want to spend the rest of my life being at the bottom of the food chain in my job so can i pick something different and that's how i got into biology (laughs) when
0: we spoke you said that you are the first black person to get a phd from The bio department in Kentucky?
1: At the University of Kentucky, I'll be the first one, yes.
0: Oh my God. And I'm assuming, obviously, well, okay, so you're also, you know, you're a woman, you're a black woman. How many women are in that department?
1: There are a lot of women, but I'm the only black woman, besides the janitors.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah, I mean, I like to talk about intersectional feminism, and that's it right there. You're dealing with you know, misogyny and you're dealing with racism. So you've got the misogynoir going on. And what is that
1: like? I think that the hardest part about being here is the culture shock. I came from HBCU Mm. and then I came here. And actually, before I worked here, I was the lead scientist at the core sequencing facility here. And I worked with women, but I worked under a man and it wasn't as bad as when I got here. There are mostly women in my department and it is, it's, it's been a culture shock. It's really been the hardest part about being in grad school is the fact that I'm the only one. Some of the things that I've said are done here. I'm just like, is this real? Mm
0: -hmm. That's so you went to a, a historically black college or university And I actually just saw some research stating that uh, African-Americans or, or, you know, Black students who go to HBCUs are more successful than Black students in general colleges. Do you think that going to an HBCU, well, how was that experience?
1: It was amazing. It was the first time I ever saw a different, like the first time I ever saw different types of Black people. I mean, I grew up in Lexington and most of the black people that I knew or grew up around were all the same kind of black people. Mm -hmm. So I grew up where I thought everybody had family members who were on drugs or everybody knew somebody who went to jail. Everybody knew people who sold drugs and those kind of things. I didn't realize that people grew up and had black family members who were doctors and lawyers and all of these things. I just, I didn't get exposed to that. So I didn't really know that existed. And then I got to an HBCU and I got to be around people and go places and visit families of a plethora of different kind of black people. I was like, oh, okay, well, black Mm -hmm. people are out here doing all kinds of things I didn't know existed. All right. It just exposes you to a different type of black. And when you get exposed to a different type of black, you can see that we're not a monolith and we can do all kinds of things. So I was like, well, I can have all kinds of different kinds of lifestyles and I get to pick and choose how I want to live. I'm not subjected to have this kind of
0: life. Oh, that's so great. Because when people are like, oh, diversity this, diversity that, they mean a specific sort of diversity. And what you're describing is a sort of diversity that we don't think about. It's it's partially racial, but it's also socioeconomic and cultural. So it's really cool that you were exposed to that. Was that one of those moments where a light bulb went off over your head and you're like, oh, I can, I can be a scientist, I can... Do whatever I want.
1: I think that going to an HBCU before when I went to college, I had that same dream that you go to college to make it out. And then when I went to an HBCU, I realized that I went to college to get the knowledge to go back and take it back, and so take the things that I learned back and make my community better. And if I hadn't Mm -hmm. gone to an HBCU, I wouldn't realize that that was the purpose, rather than to think I always to have that thinking that I was supposed to just go to college and make it get away from the people that were around me, not bring things back to expose them and show them that there was more.
0: And that's actually a really great transition to the other thing I want to talk about, Nerd Squad. Can you tell me a bit about what Nerd Squad is and what you do?
1: So Nerd Squad is a STEM nonprofit. I started it about seven to eight years ago. It's focuses only on girls of color. And basically what we do is we mentor middle school and high school girls Together with the middle school and high school girls, we design and develop interactive STEM activities. And then the middle school and high school girls they go out into the community. They go to community centers. They go to elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools. They go to STEM events. They host STEM conferences. All those kind of things. And they become the they become the mentors and they facilitate the activities and they do it. They they lead. We don't actually lead. We're just in the background. We support them in the ways they need to be supported, but They're the faces of Nerd Squad.
0: And why did you go down that route? Why do you want the young women that you work with to be the the face of the program?
1: Well, one, because I feel like a lot of times in this generation, what I hear a lot of older people say is like how this generation doesn't understand. They're disconnected. They lost all these like negative connotations about them. But if we take steps back and look at like the Black Panthers and Martin Luther King, they were all doing things that were different from what the generation before them had done. They were thinking outside of the box. They were taking it to the next level. It was innovative. And people before them were thinking how they were lost and they were doing things so different. And sometimes we get so lost and so caught up in doing things how we think it should be done that we don't take any steps back to think about and ask them how they think it should be done. Education right now is at a kind of a standstill. We're not innovative anymore and we're not innovative anymore because we're not empowering the minds that should be empowered and should be allowed to lead. So I give them the opportunity to lead. I learn so much from them. Like when we put our heads together and we think about the things that we teach, I could have an idea about how a topic should be taught. And then when I say, when I bring it up to them, they're like, nah, I don't think it should be taught that way. And I'm like, why? Well, that doesn't connect. And then when I asked them, why does it connect? And they explained it to me. I'm like, you know, I guess you're right. That doesn't connect. And then I learned, you're right. That doesn't. We talk, there's always these conversations about how they, we always have. they always have their phones in their hands. They don't communicate with each other. They don't sit down and talk. But the whole time these phones are in their hands, they're communicating with each other. They're talking, mm-hmm. they're conversating. Even if it doesn't look like how we would do it, it's still communication. It's still fellowship. It's still community building. It just not might not be in the same way. And I just feel like we have to take some steps back and quit being so caught up in what we think it should be and give them an opportunity to lead. Because if we don't, what will be next?
0: Oh, that's amazing. I mean, do you think does it work? Do you see, I mean, obviously this is a long-term thing and, and you would have to technically in the future run the numbers and see where these girls end up. But you personally, how do you feel this is going? Do you think, do you see progress?
1: Do I think it works? I do think it works. I think it works in a lot of ways because I think that it empowers these girls. It could be at any time of day. Girls will call me. They'll be like, Miss T.C., I was at the Walmart and I saw some of my girls from my summer camp. They just ran up to me and hugged me. And I'll mm-hmm. be like, how did it feel? It felt so good. I love them. Like, you can't take those feelings away from them. Just mm-hmm. how they feel about it. How strong that feeling that they get on the inside there's something you just can't take away and then on top of that they get exposed to so many things that i didn't get exposed to when i was their age i did want to be a scientist but i had no clue what that looked like when people ask me how i get there i tell people i got how i got here i tell people i got here on luck i got here on taking advantage of things people offered me that i did not know what it meant like I'm sitting at this table, but the first time I ever heard of a zebrafish, I had no clue what a zebrafish was. Mm-hmm. I'm in a PhD program, but I applied for a master's because I really didn't understand what the point of a PhD was. My boss told me it was stupid to get a master's, so I said, okay, I guess I'll get a PhD.
0: <laughs> well, okay, just to, to sidetrack, what exactly is a zebrafish?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, just a small little fish that has some stripes on the side. (laughs)
0: Okay, it's, okay, a zebrafish. That makes sense. All right. And you've been doing this program, Nerd Squad, for six years. Have you had students stay with you the six years?
1: Most of them, yes. Most of them I've had since they were, like, fifth, sixth graders, and now most of them are in high school.
0: Around what age did they start?
1: They usually start 12.
0: Oh, wow. So you're with them From like the beginning of their teen years all the way through basically adulthood. Yeah,
1: I have a lot of them that go to college and come back and volunteer when they can.
0: And the students that they mentor, do you have some of those students come and say, I want to be a mentor?
1: That's how come I have 25 girls it's oh, because they yeah. basically, they they like beg me, Miss Cece, I know I'm not old enough yet, but you know, when I get, when I get in fifth grade, I'm going to be on nerd squad. I'm going to be on nerd squad. Oh. I can't wait till I get in fifth grade. They come to events and just tell me like, I, I'm i just working. I'm telling you, I'm working on my stuff. I'm going to be on nerd squad. Did I do good today? Cause I want to be on nerd squad.
0: Oh, wow. And so you have 25 mentors what sorts of sites and about how many sites do you do they go to?
1: They go to different community centers and community programs like day camps, summer camps. They go mm-hmm. to elementary school summer schools. So for the summer schools, we provide the science academia part of the um, summer school. So you know, summer schools have to have math, science, English curriculum for their summer schools. We provide the science curriculum for the summer schools for most of the elementary and middle schools in our city. Mm-hmm. This year, we branched out and started doing middle school. So this will be the first year that we actually incorporate middle school into it. We have partnerships with every major university in the state of Kentucky. So throughout the year, we host some kind of STEM camp at every major university in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. We usually try to host boys STEM camps and girls STEM camps because I think boys need to see girls in those roles. Mm-hmm. Then you see girls leading STEM, being the mentors, running the game. We do engineering. We do math. We do science. We do technology. We do the gambit. And it's always something different. They always get to choose. They train. They develop the curriculum. They put together the kits. They design and develop them how they should go. And then they go out and execute.
0: So you weren't kidding. You really are just sort of in the background and the young women you work with are allowed to, to run with it.
1: Yeah, I asked them what ideas, what are they interested Like this year, I was like, so what are you guys interested in for the summer? They were like, we want to do forensic science. We came up with a theme. They came up with a mystery. Every week we come up with new forensic science techniques that they want to teach the kids. Like before you called in, I was sitting here stapling together the printouts for the techniques that they want to teach this week. They had me typing up stuff, so I was typing up the information that they research this week and all the stuff they email me to print out. So I'm stapling and hole punching stuff for their folders. That's my job.
0: Oh, that must be so empowering to be a young girl and say to an adult, hey, I want to do this, make it happen. That's got to be such a great feeling.
1: They tell me the ideas, I say execute. That's what you want to do. Show me how you want it to work. If you show me how you want it to work, I'll make sure you have the materials. I'll make sure you have the funding. I'll go out there and beg people for the money to make sure this (laughs) operates. You just Give me the dedication and I'll give you everything else you need. I'll show up for you. I think that that's what makes it powerful is that they know that if they show up, I'll show up for them.
0: I'm legit a little jealous right now of this program. <laughs> I just think about how many young women, especially young women of color, would benefit from having this um, like immense support system. That's amazing. Do you have any... Sp- Specific success stories that you are really proud of or that you would like to brag about on the show?
1: Um, I think they're all success stories. I don't know. Um, Yeah. I think the thing that makes me the proudest is like when people ask them what they want to be when they grow up Mm -hmm. and they tell them and they say it without like feeling ashamed or feeling nervous, they just step up and say it. Because I, I wanted to be a scientist, but I didn't know what that meant and I didn't know what it looked like. So to say that I wanted to be a scientist was always like, I want to be a scientist. Mm-hmm. But if you ask them, some of the girls on my squad, you like, what do you want to be? They're like, I want to be a biomedical engineer <laughs> and I want to build prosthetics. And I'm like, oh, OK, I want to I want to change The other day we went to visit this local restaurant and the owner of the local restaurant. She basically, what she does is she supports nonprofits through the year and she collects money Mm -hmm. for the nonprofits through the year. And that's one, the way that she supports the community. And she asked each girl, how did they want to change the world? And like the girls were saying things like one girl raised her hand and says, I want to be a doctor when I grow up and I want to support women and mothers as they have babies and I was just like, I didn't even think about things like that when I was 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. And another girl was like, she owns her own business. She built, she's, has a cupcake business. And she was like, I want to support young girls and when they're young and show them that they can be busy and popular and booked and they can have businesses and it's okay. And I was like, busy and booked? okay, I didn't think about being busy and booked when I was 14. <laughs> like, You know, like, it's just a mindset that I didn't have. I didn't even think about having.
0: I mean, I think that's something that even grown women struggle with.
1: I feel proud of that. I get to support them in that way. How can we support Nerd Squad? We always take donations. Mm-hmm. We have Cash App. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, We're always selling T-shirts and backpacks and tank tops. We're always looking for new places to take the girls to actually host and lead activities. So when people are thinking about hosting STEM-based activities and need a unique way, thinking about Nerd Squad and reaching out to us and asking us to come and show what we're made of, I love that. I love the way they get so excited when people ask them to come and lead. Like, I think it makes them feel proud mm-hmm. and people just ask them because they're so young and they feel so proud that people just come and say, Can you do this? And I don't, you know, because I take this back seat, I let them handle everything and they go out there and they just do it. And when it's over, you could just see them the amount of satisfaction on their faces.
0: Can people from outside of Kentucky reach out to you and if they're close enough, can yep. you or some of your girls go help out?
1: Yeah, we've we gone all kinds of places. We've been to Virginia, oh. all kinds of places.
0: Oh, that's so great. What was one of the exciting trips that you and and the girls got to go on?
1: Um, a couple years ago, we did some Nerd Squad stuff in D.C. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. The girls are really hype. <laughs> I was really excited because, you know, just to get them. The, a lot of them, though, it's the first time I've ever been out of Lexington or seen a beach or any of that kind of stuff. So,
0: Going back, you mentioned that you provide a lot of STEM curriculum. Is that two school districts as well?
1: Yes. So during the school year when the girls are in school, We also teach teachers how to create interactive STEM classrooms. We teach teachers how to use project-based learning and STEM and build classrooms where no matter what level a group of students are on, everybody can take away something. Mm -hmm. Because that's the unique thing about science and STEM is it doesn't always have to be a right or wrong answer. Mm -hmm. And when you put students in an environment where everybody's not worried about getting things right or wrong, you, are, you have a more likelihood of everybody trying to contribute and being involved. And so we teach teachers how to create those environments. When I first started doing this, a lot of schools didn't teach, didn't have science except for in fourth grade in elementary school because that's when the school district tests here. And then again in sixth grade because that's when the school district tests here. And then in ninth grade, it's biology, and then they're like, we don't understand why students aren't interested in science. Well, because you're not giving them any foundation. You're going science in fourth grade, science in sixth grade, and then biology. That's mm-hmm. not even the same thing anymore. Yeah. Science and biology aren't the same, they don't have a solid foundation. Now, I would be intimidated. Mm -hmm. You got to you have to build that enthusiasm. You have to build that interest. You have to keep them going. And it can't be that trick science where you bring somebody in and they do some magic science in a bowl and they're not allowed to touch anything. You have to engage them in the science and build critical thinking skills. I go in a classroom and I present an idea and I let students tell me what they think they can do. And then you, after you tell me what materials do you need and I bring you those materials and you execute, and that changes the game because that makes them take ownership of their learning and their ideas and feel confident. And then at the end of the school year, we have science night where students get to present their ideas and what they've gone through throughout the year, propose their theories to parents. It changes how students think about the way they're allowed to think and about the way their brains work. I think their brains are like muscles, and if you teach an athlete to fine-tune their bodies in order to be good athletes, you want a student to be a good t- a thinker, then you teach a student how to fine-tune their brains and how to use them and how to execute, and then they will become good thinkers. You can't just throw worksheets at students and say, think, 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 and then you're not teaching them how to think. It's not a, Thinking is not something that we're innately born with. We teach students how to think first then you allow them to think and it changes them. Oh, that's
0: so great. You know, I do some education work and I know that there has been this push now recently because people have realized, yeah, our school system isn't built to do STEM with kids and there's been a push for great curriculums and there's so few great STEM curriculums out there. So it's amazing to hear that not only do you have one, but yours is driven by students you have your girls go to teachers and say, you should do this, this, and this. That's mass. That's really big. That's amazing.
1: And I tell teachers that i I tell teachers, like, I didn't design this alone. I designed this based off of what other students think, like how they feel about it. Because as an adult, I don't, I'm, I'm so far removed from that place Mm -hmm. that sometimes even my own imagination is a little altered by reality. But when you take a When you take an 11-year-old and you present an idea to an 11-year-old, there's so much imagination that they invest into the thought process that they think of things. And I'm like, wow, you know, I didn't even think about that. Conceptually, my brain isn't even capable of going down that route anymore.
0: Yeah, there's a theory that the school system actually tends to beat creativity out of us. So it makes sense that at that age, they've still got those creative juices flowing. And the work that you're doing is ensuring that they don't lose that creativity. So that's also amazing. I'm going to ask you again, because we talked about it and then we sort of backtracked. But I want to make sure that people understand that they can support Nerd Squad and should. So can you just, again, go through what social media you're on and how people can donate money to your program?
1: Alrighty, so we are on Twitter at Nerd Squad Inc. We are on Facebook at Nerd Squad, all caps. We are on Instagram at Nerd Squad Org. We have Cash App at Nerd Squad Inc. All caps. We—that's um, all our social medias. We're working on a website. I hope it should drop. Like at the end of the summer, which will be really exciting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can reach out at any of those places. We also, and if you click on any of the about links on any of those social media sites, it also will send you to all of our email addresses we have great communication the girls are really good at making sure that they answer and respond to all emails and inboxes and messages so they get back to all requests and comments very quickly they on the social media so they're better at the social media than me so
0: <laughs> awesome and just before we wrap up any parting words any advice, anything you want the listeners to know?
1: Um, you didn't ask me this, but I created Nerd Squad because there aren't a lot of safe spaces for brown girls of color who are interested in science. My job is not a safe space. My work environment is not a safe space. I get this PhD because it's necessary, because I'm definitely too far into it not to get the PhD at this point. But there should be safe spaces and girls of color should feel empowered to walk into this field and know that this is some place that they also are welcome to occupy and that they do amazing things and that they are capable of doing amazing things and that they can be here too. And I don't think that at this moment the world is is creating that space for them. So We at Nerd Squad are doing that. And I think that the world better get ready because when they come out into that world, they are going to be some forces to reckon with. And that's it.
0: All right. Thank you, Cagney, so much for being honest about your experience in STEM and all of the amazing work you and your girls do at Nerd Squad. And, of course, thank you so much for being a guest on the show.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me
0: thank all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I know I learned so much. I hope you did too. I look forward to talking to all of you again. I will see you next time on the next episode of Rubber Temptation. Come be my friend. Follow Rubber Temptation on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter. Streaming platforms include Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podbean, and Stitcher. However you choose to listen to Rubber Stemtation, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.